driving it home. With Patty Vasquez, Patty Vasquez. From global conflicts to greenhouse gases, the folks refusing to wear masks says, and politicians getting caught grabbing asses says, she's driving it home with Patty Vasquez. Hello, hello, and happy Wednesday. Hope that you're happy, healthy, and safe wherever you are today. And man, uh, certainly an evening to say that after last night's stormy events all across the Chicagoland area and all throughout the Midwest. I uh, hope everyone uh, weathered that. Well, that's a weird way to say that. I hope that everyone made it through safely. I know there was a lot of property damage, a lot of scary moments. And uh, if you have anything you want to catch us up on, uh, 773-763-9278. How'd you do last night through the storms? Certainly uh, a way to say goodbye to uh, Tom Skilling. Mother Nature gave him quite the send-off as he uh, goes off into his retirement. Man, uh, I'm going to miss having Tom Skilling there when it's a chaotic evening uh, or just chaos in our weather systems because he really is such a, a shining light. Um, his enthusiasm and his passion for making sure that we have all the information we need to be safe. Uh, we owe him so much. Uh, my entire life, uh, I just have enjoyed watching him uh, give us weather updates and nobody delivers the weather like Tom Skilling. So it was uh, quite the evening. I just got a text from somebody. I must have missed an announcement. The Supreme Court is going to be hearing Donald Trump's immunity case. Uh, if you if you have any thoughts on any of the stories in the news today, uh, don't hesitate to pick up the phone to call or text us at 773-763-9278. And a lovely announcement to make. We are now streaming on Twitter as well. So if that's where you get a lot of uh, your information, you can watch us on Twitter. So we are also live streaming on Facebook. So hi to all of our friends watching there as well. And uh, we have a great show coming up for you today. Uh, I'm so excited to welcome back our friend Cheryl from uh, Schoolhouse Kitchen. We're going to find out about all the great things going on there. We love supporting our local businesses and folks who are getting it done in communities and making sure that people have a place to gather, right? Whether it's uh, gathering over food and learning how to cook, sending your kids uh, to, uh, to to camp. They, she has a great events for all ages. And uh, we also have the pleasure of uh, having her at our Jefferson Park Sunday, Sunday Markets. And uh, by the way, our next one for those in the Chicagoland area is coming up on St. Patrick's Day. So it's a great way to uh, to come together and support local businesses, get some fresh fruits and vegetables, um, items that are really incredible uh, crafted you know, elements like soaps. And uh, we have folks that have bring um, artwork and jewelry. So that will be on March 17th at the Copernicus Center. And we will be opening up at 10 a.m. So just want to let you know a little about that. And so we have Cheryl coming in from Schoolhouse Kitchen. And then we'll have Dan Schaefer from the Recombobulation area. He'll be on at 6. And then, of course, our car guy, Tom Appel, will be joining us. And uh, I just, um, I was listening to uh, Tom Hartman earlier talking about, and, and we've discussed this this week, uh, the difference in people who are drawn to more conservative uh, right-wing and authoritarian uh, rhetoric language uh, using elements of fear and rage to uh, sort of gather that energy to, you know, other people, you know, othering, whether it's immigrants or women, um, and prepping people for the idea of, yeah, you know what, I think we should have a dictator. 
I mentioned this before. There are some folks that go out and, and do some work, uh, like the Good Liars, talk to folks at Trump rallies and, and really interview them and ask them questions that kind of uses their own logic even when they're they're faced with information that contradicts that or flies in the face of of their beliefs they still are so dedicated to what they believe is so much a part of their identity and in one string of videos uh, folks were asked if you would rather have four more years of president biden or trump as your dictator and if you listen to that question, if he's your dictator, he's the dictator for the rest of his life. That's how that works. And individual after individual, these people, the folks that were being asked, said over and over again, I would rather have a dictator. I'd rather have Trump as my dictator. They didn't say a dictator. They would rather have Trump as their dictator. I don't know if that uh, carries over for somebody else who steps up into the void, but uh, they said they would rather have Trump as a dictator. I mean, it's just, and, and our friend uh, uh, earlier this week who wrote uh, about the uh, sort of um, energy behind being a conservative, we, we talked to a professor who uh, has written a book about why it's so appealing to some folks. We talked to Professor Barry Maurer, who uh, wrote a book about the uh, induced delusional disorder. And uh, there are folks who are drawn to messages of things are the way they are if you don't like what's happening in your life or in your community it's not your fault it's it's the people of color it's the immigrants it's the black people it's women who are having abortions it's women who are having careers and putting that first it's their fault so uh join us and and we'll push back against that it's 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 a lot of work we have to do this year but i uh, i have faith that we can get done it sounds like jim jim has a lot of faith jim in chicago what's on your mind my friend I think that uh, McDonald, uh, what's his name? Uh, I can't think of the Kentucky senator. He's ducking out because he's like the, an animal before a tidal wave. They take off. You notice the animals will run. <laughs> yes. Mitch McConnell. This is a yeah. Democrat. Go ahead. I, I think he smells, a, he smells a Democratic landslide. That's what I think. That's, that's what I think's behind it. And uh knows when to get out. Because, he, he, you know, he's running the purse there for years. He's running, he's running the Republican purse for years. So uh, something's up. I think they're running out of dough. I know they're out of dough in Michigan. Uh, Trump's not raising any money. I think he raised about eight thousand bucks in January. <laughs> to, well, uh, yeah, but he's selling some. He's, he's selling his gold gym yeah, shoes to cover his legal yeah. bills, so he should well, be fine. Well, well, not only that, but it, it, he's got to come up with a hundred grand a day, doesn't he? No, until somebody puts up the scratch for him for the for the bond, or he's got to put up his whatever properties he has in uh, New York. So he's, he has, he has, apparently that's in the wind. He's paying a hundred thousand dollars a day, but he comes up with a half a billion dollars for the band. And I, I thought that uh, the guy with the electric cars, he flew their uh, what's his name, the electric cars, the rocket ships, and all that stuff. You know, whatever the guy from South Africa. Oh, Elon Musk. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, he flew there. He flew there, but apparently he probably gave him a proposition that. Uh, Trump wouldn't go along with you. He was a fire sale on his property or something. And his son-in-law, Kushner, got $2 billion. He can't, apparently, he's not going to pony up to half a billion. He's going to hang on to his dough. Yep. Because I know when when a ship is sinking, you know, it happens every, every man for themselves, you know. But I think this is a, just a precursor of a Democratic last night. That's, a, that's all I have to say. And have a great show, Penny, and thank you. 
Appreciate it. Uh, yeah, so Mitch McConnell announcing that he will uh, no longer uh, be in leadership position. Uh, and then uh, today, the Supreme Court is taking up uh, Trump's immunity appeal, which uh, it's just going to be really, it's another delay tactic. And uh, I, uh, the district courts uh, and appeal and the appeals court, uh, I believe, set the precedent. I don't know what the... Uh, I was hoping that the Supreme Court, and I guess you know, we knew because it was taking some time that they were establishing what this was going to look like, because this is the uh, biggest case uh, I would say in the history of our country. So I don't know. It's going to have. It's it's going to be. No one's above the law, and yet they've decided to uh, uh, make it. It's just, it's insane. Hey, Brian and Juliet, what's on your mind? Oh, hi, Patty. Hope you're. Uh keeping warm today. It's a little chilly in comparison to the 70-degree weather yesterday, huh? Yeah, uh, I was uh, outside there, and uh, with the wind chill, it felt uh, like it was around 20 degrees. About 20, it was very cold. Uh, the reason I'm calling you is uh, I was I caught a clip of uh, uh, Bishop William Barber, perhaps you've heard of him, and uh, he said in this uh, clip, uh, tape, uh, that uh, he believed that religion, which has nothing to say about the oppressive realities of life, cannot be described as a religiosity, and uh, I agree with that uh, statement. I consider myself religious, but I agree with that statement. And uh, you want, uh, said several times at one time you were a Mormon, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, uh, I would be interested to know uh, what you thought, uh, what your thoughts were then, because now uh, generally you sound extremely uh, liberal. Well, I was 10 years old my last day of being a Mormon. So I uh, I was a Mormon from a very early age. I was raised in the Mormon church. And uh, it was not for me. Uh, at 10, I decided it was not, uh, it, it didn't ring true for me. Uh, I was also uh, confirmed in the Lutheran church. Uh, I, I, my sense of things, and, and I don't, I know my brother who is, uh, continues to be a Mormon. He was a Mormon missionary. He is very conservative. He's also very, um, and this is, I don't want to speak in blanket terms about Mormonism, but there is a drive for wealth in the belief that uh, if that, there, that that's part of being the chosen ones, is that you know you deserve all this wealth and to make a lot of money and whether whatever that expense seems to be, uh, meaning uh, you would rather continue to elect Republicans who make tax breaks for the wealthiest and do it at the cost and expense of making sure that we have services for those who need it the most, which. You would think that that would be the more Christian thing to do, but uh, at any rate, I, I, for me, I, I, I agree with folks who say that Christ would have been a, a Democrat or a liberal at least. I agree, and uh, uh, for the most part, from my uh, experience, uh, over fifty years ago, uh, there were uh, in like Catholic uh, grade school, uh, there were uh, at least a couple of. Uh, 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 none and a priest, I recollect, that were, would have been uh, they're, they're generally considered uh, more of a social consciousness and a liberal persuasion, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, then uh, when uh, Reagan became uh, president, unfortunately, <laughs> definitely, um, then uh, there was a, a shift uh, towards a kind of uh, 
for the most part, a kind of a Calvinism uh, or a libertarian way of thinking where uh, blessed are the wealthy or they shall inherit everything, which to me sounds like the opposite of the teachings of uh, uh, Jesus. Uh, I am not a religious bigot at all, uh, but uh, I try to follow the teachings of Jesus, and according to my Bible, uh, I reckon it's the same Bible as anybody else's, Holy Bible, Christian, and Old Testament. Uh, I reckon that um, the teachings in action of uh, Jesus are kind of been turned upside down, largely by uh, brainwashing uh, back to 1980-81 when uh, Reagan became president to the president, unfortunately, where you just uh, referenced that point. Right. I, I, I don't appreciate people uh, using religion or what would Christ do or what would Christ support because these are all uh, teachings that have been translated and retranslated for centuries, often with the intent of controlling people and informing it in ways that uh, put limitations on what you should or shouldn't do and even beyond what the bible what the bible actually says many conservatives don't embrace so if someone wants to say right. would christ support abortion why are we having that conversation when christ also said that you should welcome a stranger into your into your you know into into a new land right you should uh, uplift the poor and help them that being wealthy is not to be revered that it is, you know, that it's, it's, it goes against essentially the teachings of Christ to hoard wealth and not help others. So wh- why is it only the one thing that you want to ask? Would what would Jesus say about abortion, or would he support it? Is uh, is moot if nothing else holds water for you? Yeah, I, I find nothing. Uh, I agree with what you just said uh, wholeheartedly, and I find nothing in my Bible that says anything about abortion. Right. Uh, maybe uh, I don't find anything. I'm pro-choice, and I, I remain, and I will remain pro-choice. Right. Uh, and other things you said, I I agree wholeheartedly with what you're talking about uh, uh, in reference to it. It's uh, I still say that the. Uh, of those who want to follow in action the teachings of uh, Jesus, who claim to be Christians, uh, would not be worshiping uh, billionaires and multi-multi-millionaires, those that don't pay their fair share of taxes. I do not uh, have anything against all wealthy people, by no means, but those who control industries, uh, corporations, all the way back to Reagan, uh, have violated, uh, I believe, the uh, social contract, and they use a fig leaf of uh, Christian hypocrisy uh, to cover for themselves and to scare people. Right, right. Those that do. Yeah, and I think that it, it, it you know, the ability to uh, talk to a group of people who are practicing a faith. Uh, you know, you're already uh, gathering to, you know, commit to a life of uh, the teachings of Christ. And if that's the case, then live out those uh, those ideals, because Christ said absolutely nothing, not a single thing about abortion. He did say many things over and over again about how we should treat each other. And I'm not seeing any of those teaching teachings manifest uh, from the guy who's running on the Republican side for presidency. 
Well, um, uh, if uh, I, I recommended this uh, maybe two years ago to you, and uh, I referenced it a little while ago, uh, that book, uh, anything by Rosemary Radford Luther, uh, I think you'd be highly interested in, and perhaps your audience, uh, Rosemary Radford Luther, either New Woman, uh, New, New World, New Earth, or New Earth, New World, and Sexism and God Talk, both of those, New Woman, New Earth, I forget, you might check the title on that one uh, so long ago, uh, but uh, Sexism and God Talk, definitely, um, where uh, she, in her books, uh, 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 describes uh, Jesus as a feminist, uh, given the times he lived in. Right, I think so. He, he certainly uh, had a high regard for, what was that? No, New Woman, New Earth is the name of the first book uh, she wrote. And okay. the other, Sexism and God Talk. No, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, that's all right. I will take a look at that book. I appreciate it. Thank you, Brian. I'm going to run to the well, break. Thank you, Patty. Have a good evening. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Let's take a break here. When we come back, we continue our conversation. 773-763-9278. That's the number to call. 773-763-9278. And uh, watching Republicans turn themselves into pretzels today over IVF has also been uh, fascinating. More in a moment on Heartland Signal, WCPT 820. Hey there. It's your guy, Warren Price, from European and U.S. Collision Repair, a division of Technicraft Body Shops. We specialize in automobile and truck repair as well as normal automobile maintenance. With our highly skilled technicians and environmentally friendly materials, we strive for quality. Call 773-248-1200. That's 773-248-1200 or europeanus.com. Patty Vasquez is taking your calls now. At 773-763-9278. Driving it home with Patty Vasquez. Now on WCPT 820. I want to address a couple of uh, texts we got. Uh, One uh, listener says, uh, conservative Mormons aren't all MAGA either. Mormons aren't all conservatives. I believe that. Uh, I only have my uh, family members to go by in this situation and most recently. Uh, do you think that Christ would support abortion? I think that he would support a woman's right to choose, the Christ that I believe in and have learned about. Yes, I do think that he would support a woman's right to choose and have autonomy over her body. I think more importantly, I think that uh, he would not want our politics to intervene and, and put uh, religion uh, as a, the basis upon which we all must live. I think that would probably be the, the direction he would go in. Jose, what's on your mind, my friend? Jose? Hey, Patty. Hey, what's going How on? How are you doing, Patty? I'm doing all right. How are you doing? Quick, Matt, did, did, did you hear about that? The Supreme Court's going to hear Trump's, uh, on Trump's thing and, and uh, his... Uh, Presidential immunity. Yeah, they just came down with it. Yeah, they uh, uh, so the court, gonna get... they're they're going to hear or arguments the week of April twenty second, which basically freezes his case at the district court level, and it may uh, upend a unanimous ruling from the D.C. Circuit appellate panel, uh, holding that prosecutors were well within their rights to prosecute the former president. So it's going to be just crazy, Patty. I know. I know. not. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll listen to, to well, what your other but other uh, no, listeners have what, what to you, say about this. Well, don't you think? I mean, uh, the unintended consequences of this are then if if a, if they rule that a president can do whatever they want, then 
I mean, are they saying that President Biden, if he is unsuccessful in winning all the votes, that he should just not leave office and stage a coup because he's <laughs> a president? The door. I mean, then that's it for every. Yeah, it opens. It, well, but the thing is that if it opens the door for Biden or if Trump wins, it closes the door on democracy because then he can then. Yeah, dictatorship. Yes. Because how is that not just doing whatever he wants and have full immunity? It's crazy, Petty. <laughs> we're, God we're, bless you. Jose, Thank you. Absolutely, Thank you Jose, for your time. Absolutely. Have, have a great evening. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, I think that uh, well, we'll have to get uh, Renato Mariotti on, too, to see what uh, his thoughts are. I mean, I think that a lot of folks believed he was that the Supreme Court was just going to kind of kick it down the field. And that is not the case. So. We have uh, a lot of court cases uh, for the former president that uh, are hanging in the balance on several decisions. And one, of course, is in uh, Georgia with the Fonnie Willis uh, testimony and uh, others involved in whether or not her relationship with uh, one of her colleagues is reason to um, basically replace her as a prosecutor. There's a possibility that if they do that, there might not be anyone else that is willing to to pick up the uh, the reins in that area so uh, that may be a dead deal as well so there's that there's a lot happening all at once uh also the results in michigan uh the results in michigan i know people are talking about it it is fascinating to watch the media it feels like we're in an upside down world when it comes to uh how things are being reported what headlines say but uh, in regards to what we were talking about, the Bible and religion and uh, impact on our, our politics and our government, uh, Paul wants to chime in. He's the host of Kitchen Table Progressives here on WCPT Sunday nights at 6. What's going on, Paul? Hey, Patty. Yeah, well, so the question, would Jesus support abortion? Um, well, I think we're all pretty much in agreement that Jesus would support the Tanakh. I mean, he supports the, the law. Uh, he said he, he didn't come to change the law. He came to fulfill it. Well, for those of you who are playing Bible study along at home, please open your Bibles to the book of Numbers, chapter 5, beginning at verse 16, if that's not a rabbinic prescription for how to cause an abortion in a woman who may have been uh, uh, committed adultery, I don't know what is. But I think the term, uh, after she's, you gather up the dust off the, um, off the temple floor, and then you put it in some water and make her drink it, and then if she's guilty of adultery and she's pregnant— her thigh will fall away. <laughs> I think that's, I think that's wow. a pretty, yeah, that's what it, that's what it says. So uh, that's the only place in the Bible that discusses abortion. And I don't think Jesus ever said, except for that part. Now this... here's an interesting thing mm-hmm. about what the founding fathers, uh, what they intended. Um, first of all, in, in the Roe versus Wade decision, um, Justice Blackman, Harry Blackman, who wrote the decision, he took a long time writing it because he did. He was the he was the uh, chief legal counsel for the Mayo Clinic before he was appointed to the court um, by Richard Nixon, and so he had a, a very strong background in in uh, medical, and uh, you know obviously he was the legal counsel for the Mayo Clinic, and he did like a a PhD dissertation on the history of abortion, and he found out that abortion was legal pretty much all over the world up until in the United States after the Civil War. because And it was because they discovered during the Civil War that invasive procedures can cause infection. So, um, but then with the work of Louis Pasteur and 
in uh, sterile sterilization and Joseph Pasteur or Joseph Lister um, in aseptic procedures, they realized that no, we can do surgeries without infection, and still by the turn of the 20th century, it was safer actually to have an abortion than it was for a woman to actually deliver. Oh, but think of this: in mm-hmm. the days of the founding fathers. I didn't realize this until I wrote a book, uh, read a book called America's uh, First Daughter. It was about Martha Jefferson, Thomas Jefferson's uh, oldest daughter. All abortions during colonial times, and they did have them, they were all late term because that's when pregnancies become difficult. Um, there's no reason to consider an abortion in those days because people had large families. They need large families because they were all farmers. But Pregnancies become difficult in the third trimester, and that's when they actually did consider and oftentimes have an abortion because these women were already mothers to three or four or five other children, and you can't just allow the mother of those children to die. I have not read up on, on these uh, types of stories, but I, I, that's fascinating. <laughs> I think that that was the way uh, a pregnancy was treated. I also believe, from what I was reading, that another issue uh, and why uh, the uh, the efforts to make abortion illegal arose was because the American Medical Association didn't want the people that were involved in helping women through pregnancy and birth were mostly women. Uh, they wanted to have control over that area as well. And that's where the, the even more lobbying efforts, uh, as far as our our electeds, to make it illegal. So, well, and the the whole anti-abortion, the religious angle on on abortion, really only came up. It came up during the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century. That's when the argument, the the religious arguments came up, and they're still going on. Matter of fact, the, I have a friend who's a uh, seminary graduate, and he says the the um, the Ref- the neo reformation war is still going on the reformation war and it was there were times when it was actually a hot war but what the protestant reforms reformists did and there were two branches there was the magisterial branch that was against what the pope said uh and then there was what what was called the uh anabaptist branch which was they were kind of really wackos um they the, basically the difference between protestant and catholic is both of them uh say the biblical truth is based on scripture, but the Catholics say, and the Pope's interpretation from chair is inerrant. So the Pope, however the Pope decides, speaking from chair, that's it. The the Protestants, on the other hand, say, yes, biblical truth is based on scripture and necessary and proper inferences that we may come up with. So they have a lot of different ones. So what the Protestants were doing at the time was to pick any fight they could with the church, that being what we now call the Catholic Church, to have disagreements. It's kind of what the Republicans are doing now. You say white, I'll say black. You say black, I'll say white. And so that they could dis- they could try to discredit the church by engaging them in any kind of argument they could come up with. So the whole idea that it was a, 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 it was a moral question and a religious question started during the Reformation. It was the 16th century. Um, but up until that time, and it, it, there was actually, interestingly, during the row arguments, in the, in the oral arguments, and you can, you can hear these. Because actually, I think you, you were mentioned that. Yep. Uh, yeah. Was, uh, so, yeah, uh, Potter Stewart, uh, Justice, uh, Associate Justice Potter Stewart, he asked the, the Wade team, uh, he, they did it like this. Hold on. Let me get a drag off my smoke. 
Uh, what kind of uh, question is the abortion question? Is it uh, a constitutional right. question? Is it a medical right. question? Is it a philosophical? Yeah, for a part of student asking this, is it, you know, is it what kind of question is it? And, and the way team said, it's all of the above. Yeah. And that's what they lost because the court can only, can only answer constitutional questions. Which so, is which is what the, the the present Supreme Court decided not to do was not. Oh, that's exactly right. I yeah. mean, they don't even approach the idea about how about this. And I wrote a piece on this. I, I sent it to you, but about that um, being against abortion, it's it's the it's it's servitude slavery to a fetus mm-hmm. because the the Constitution says that no person, the Fifth Amendment and the Fourteenth Amendment, both say because the Fifth Amendment was incorporated into the Fourteenth Amendment. Both say that no person shall uh, be, uh, lose uh, life, liberty, or property without due process. Well, um, if your life could be threatened because, by a pregnancy, that's one thing. Or certainly your liberty, right? Your liberty as, a, as an impregnated woman is definitely compromised. And your property, which is your money, uh, you, will be in, you are in both biologic and economic servitude to this fetus which may go on for, you know, 18 years. And if you do not uphold your parental obligations, the state will come after you. So, in other words, you're going to be on the hook for this. And I'm saying that in, in order to make it due process, every woman who wants an abortion, if the state wants to shut it down, they should have to take every one of them to court individually because that's due process. Yeah. You can't just make that's... a law saying no. Right. And and that's what the court doesn't want to acknowledge. They just that's why it's just such an unreasonable. It's such an unreasonable uh, idea that nobody I mean, and they say it doesn't say that there's a right to to abortion in the Constitution. Well, hardly any of your rights are outlined. (laughs) Exactly. There's a lot of things that the Constitution doesn't say and that we do anyway. And so the idea that that the founding fathers would have would have said, would have thought that your bodily autonomy is not yours is preposterous. And like I said, that all abortions in colonial times were late term when pregnancies became difficult, mm. that we cannot risk the mother's life well. because... She's a she's a parent too, and that's horrifying. And fortunately, we're at the point now where we can save a woman's life in late term pregnancies if there's something medically going wrong. Um, but yeah. we also have the ability to save the mother's life if that's necessary. So, I've got. Well, you I've know, got have you heard uh-huh. that with, there are women that uh, I know women who have had um, um, gestational diabetes, mm-hmm. and uh, one one of my friends, she had it in her first pregnancy and it went away. She had it in her second pregnancy and now she. Now she has permanent diabetes. They, uh, there are cases of uh, gestational hypertension, high blood pressure that are really, really dangerous. You can't just make somebody say, oh, too bad. Right. I mean, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. No, that, because if, if, if the, and if that, if that fetus is a person, well, that person is, is an occupant of somebody else's body. There you go. <laughs> We've got a squatter. We've got a squatter in our uteruses. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. Have a good one. Have a good one. Thanks. Let me get a quick call. I've got a guest coming in the studio, but I want to make sure I get to Brendan's call about the Supreme Court. What's on your mind, Brendan? Uh, I was just going to call and say, you know, it's not all bad news, although I, I do agree. I think the Supreme Court should have stayed a mile away from this case. Yep. Um, they did at least agree to hear it in an expedited manner. So they didn't have to do it. They really wanted to just put this off until after the election, they could have. But they agreed to hear it, and they'll rule by June 
which kind of puts them in a bind because either they rule that they, they uphold the uh, original ruling by the appellate court, right? Which means that now Trump, in the middle of June, right in, right in the heat of the general election, has to deal with this trial about. Uh, oh, interesting. Yeah, you know, I mean, he's going to be right in the thick of it because they're going to start that clock right away as soon as they make the ruling, or they rule that he's immune, which means Joe Biden can basically kind of do whatever he wants for the last few months of the, you know, for, of, of uh, at least until January twentieth of uh, twenty twenty five, and he could literally tell his Department of Justice to go uh, round up any. Of the insurrectionists that are still in Congress, anyone who voted against, uh, you know, the counting the counting the votes, say that it was an act of treason and hold them in Congress and or hold them in uh, custody. And uh, which I mean, it sounds a bit extreme, but I mean that's what we're talking about at this point, right? Um, you know, giving absolute immunity, which is just ridiculous, as we all know. But but the fact is, he could just he could just say no and round up all the Republicans in Congress that that, that said they didn't, you know, wouldn't wouldn't certify my election based on lies and Russian disinformation, and you know, round them up for treason, have them, you know, and even though it probably they probably wouldn't get convicted, guess what? They're now in the minority. The only way a president can get in any trouble, according to Trump's own lawyers, is if if, if he's uh, impeached and convicted. Well, they don't have a majority, so I don't I don't see the uh, Democrats impeaching him over it. They'd probably be uh, quite happy to just get back to business. Uh, I mean, we could release the you know we could release Ukraine aid, you know, and, and do anything we want, more or less, you know. So they've really got their hands tied in this. Oh yeah. Yes, it delays it, but it but it only delays it briefly to the point where now it's going to be instead of in the thick of the primary season, it's going to be in the thick of the general election. Excellent. I like the way so, you're thinking. I like your point of view on this one. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Brandon. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, my, the biggest fear was that they'd take the case and they'd put it on a regular schedule. They'd hear it sometime in the fall. Right. The ruling would come out in the spring. You know, like after the election. But at least they're doing somewhat the right thing in, in, in expediting it so it can, can get moving so that when their ruling does come down, there will be time to for, you know, to basically uh, for the trial to happen prior to the election. Right. Yep. Let's, so, let's hope it works out there. Yeah. I don't, it just, uh, I know you got to go to break, but uh, the, uh, just on abortion, the, uh, uh, you know, Benjamin Franklin, who is considered by many as one of the most influential founding fathers of this country, you know, owned, uh, among other things, a printing press. And he used to print pamphlets that included uh, home remedies for uh, women to get abortions. Well, and, so and St. Augustine... This country wasn't founded. Right. And if we're going to go back to, to religious leaders, St. Augustine, uh, you know, debated about whether or not a uh, fetus, you know, the idea of a soul, which gets in a whole different territory, but that uh, St. Augustine declared that abortion was not homicide. And that's that's been something that the Catholic Church had, had basically operated on for centuries. Uh, and again, it was other elements right. that got involved and radicalized and uh, used this as a a weapon uh, to control people. So I, I have to run, Brendan. Thank you so much. Yep. To you. Thanks. Thank you. Have a great show. You too. Bye. Let's take a break here. Let's get Sherilyn from Schoolhouse Kitchen. When we come back on WCPT 820 Heartland Signal. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. I am so thrilled to welcome in the studio our good friend Cheryl Connect from Schoolhouse Kitchen, amongst other wonderful adventures that she has uh, brought to communities uh, over in the Chicagoland area. Cheryl, how have you been? I've 
I've been really well. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming back. I know you've been super busy. Yes. Yeah, we've been busy. You just mentioned on the way in that our friend Billy, who does uh, the, remind me of the name of the the pizza, uh, Billy's Pizzas. He's Trippin' Billy. Trippin' Billy. We had him in studio last year, and I love his story. And you have an event coming up on Friday. There's only a couple spots open. Should we even mention it? Yeah, I don't know. There's a few spots open, so yeah, mention it. All right, so tell us what's he's going to show you how to make a pizza. So Trippin' Billy, Billy's our cat, is going to um, show us how he makes his famous pie. So it's got some interesting ingredients, I think. Jalapenos. Okay. Corn. Whoa. Cheddar cheese. All right. I mean, I don't know. That sounds delicious. That sounds fantastic. And he's got a really inspiring story about um, how he's really pivoted um, given uh, his um, muscular dystrophy um, diagnosis. Oh, man. So he is um, an ambassador now um, for the Muscular Dystrophy Association, and he's raising funds through this. Um, pizza class that he's teaching at Schoolhouse Kitchen Studio on Friday night. So we're really excited that it's uh, it's kind of a double header, making pizza for a good cause. Well, I have to say, I've been having so much fun hanging out with some of the folks from Schoolhouse Kitchen at the Jefferson Park Sunday Markets and the donut-making kits that you have, the silicone molds, and and, uh, people. it just puts a smile on people's face to think that they can make their own donuts at home, doesn't it? You can totally make your own donuts at home. (laughs) You don't have to leave the house to get donuts. You can make your own donuts. What what have you been up to? What's been exciting you the most lately? Oh, my gosh. Okay, so um, our first location was in River Forest, and now we've been there eight years and left because uh you know the building was sold things happen and we found a great new location in oak park um, which is where i live and where you know a lot of our team lives so mm-hmm. we're about to be opening up a schoolhouse kitchen studio oak park in april so congratulations i know it's really cool um we didn't we didn't know we didn't know if we would find another um, place to open up but we found a great space over on Madison mm-hmm. um, across from the the community theater so nice. it's an awesome location we're really 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 thrilled and you I mean we we got to broadcast from Sugar Beet last year and it is such a spectacular spot yeah so we're we're right down the street from the co-op now yeah so we're neighbors I yeah. love it it's a beautiful store yeah you thank just, you. I love your vision for things and and what you bring to life it's just phenomenal Phenomenal. Thank you. It all feels like surreal sometimes. Like we just keep moving in the right direction, right? Like what do kids need? They need more engagement. They need more confidence. They need they need space to be themselves and creative. And I think Schoolhouse really does that. And we do it with food. Right. Which, you know, kids, they like to eat. <laughs> I've noticed. I have noticed that. I think the last time we had you in studio, you were just about to open up Portage Park. So you've been really busy. Yeah. And uh, and I know that it's been successful. I know. That, so I'm a member of the Jefferson Park Chamber of Commerce, and everyone was excited about making pasta night and other events that you've had. So you you do have adult events, but it really is the the, uh, the heart of Schoolhouse Kitchen is teaching kids yeah. how to kids. cook for themselves yeah. and for others. Yeah, absolutely. So we have um, our homesteading camps are are coming up again this summer. So it's kind of like our big our big season is summer when the kids are out of school. So we have our Wicker Park location, homesteading camps, Portage Park, we have Oak Park, and then we're doing some offshoots too at like Laboratory School in Hyde Park. Really? We're at St. Luke and River Forest. So, you know, it's all about just teaching kids, um, you know, just giving them the space to, to 
find their skills and be confident and have fun, play around. Um, we do a lot of cooking and crafting and making. We make paper. We do all kinds of wacky stuff, but it's stuff kids see on TikTok. I was going to ask you, how many of them come in with like some idea that they saw on TikTok and they want to bring it to life right. in the kitchen? Yeah, They show me their Pinterest board. And I'm like, we can totally make that. IRL. We can make it in real life. You don't just have to watch this stuff on your tiny screen anymore. We what? can do these things with our own hands and it's a lot of fun and we just mess around. I don't know. Tell us about one of the ones that surprised you that the, uh, someone came in with a TikTok or a, or a Pinterest board of what they wanted to make. I mean, kids, they love making their own like little pastries. So Pop-Tarts have been a fun one. Oh. Like, you could just make them as cute as you want. You can do sprinkles and glazes and you could do your own filling. So we've we've had a lot of fun with making our own Pop-Tarts. Um, yeah. I mean, the donuts are a big hit. Yeah, I'd imagine. It's just... You know, it's a lot of fun, but they don't, they don't realize it. They're learning life skills, right? Right. How to mix, how to measure, how to, how to clean things, how to be safe in the kitchen and how to read a recipe and how to ask questions, right? And how to come back from mistakes. Like we, we make mistakes. I, it's funny. I, I've just been going through uh, episodes of Friends. Yeah. I don't know if you remember the episode where uh, Rachel has to make uh, dessert for Thanksgiving and the pages have stuck together. Oh, And no. she makes a uh, basically this custard, but it's, it's a combination of a truffle, uh, some sort of trifle. It's got custard, but also shepherd's pie. Oh, gosh. So it's got... <laughs> <laughs> but I was just thinking, like, I could see myself doing, like, you could see someone, like, just committing, like, okay, so the recipe calls for, you know yeah, what I mean? Like, right. just being committed to it. Oh, no, we teach them critical thinking skills. So exactly. Sometimes we, we will actually run a whole class without a recipe. Like, oh. What do you think? What do you actually think goes in this dough? Do you think it needs more water? Do you think it needs more flour? Like, ask questions. Like, be a conscious consumer. Be a conscious, like, creator. Um but yeah, and I, that's funny. I also share with my students when we make these um, Pop-Tarts or pastry. Or, I cried the first time I made my own pie. I literally cried because I wanted it to turn out so good. I was taking it to a boyfriend's house or something. Oh. Or, you know, like I was, no, it didn't turn out. And it's so it's so fun to like be with them in, in the kitchen and show them like these skills that will like really empower them to be able to do this stuff for themselves and not be so scared. I was so scared when I first started cooking. Oh, I, I, I started cooking when I was like around six or seven. I remember doing things from channel 11 had like stuff that they would show kids how to cook and things like that. And like weird little, I remember doing like a, a, a hot dog thing wrapped in a slice of bread with cheese with a toothpick in the broiler, like just stupid oh. little <laughs> I, for some reason I started cooking when I was really little, like oh. really young. Cause my, I was a latchkey kid yeah. and my mom trusted me in the kitchen. Uh, I'm not sure why, but I got lucky. Um, yeah. but I think that like, I, I, I feel like I, I, sk- I, I skimped on teaching myself on enough like Griffin before he went off to college maybe mm. maybe I should send him one of the he needs like a college class before we send them off to college right no bring him on <laughs> like, over right how to use a hot pot or, or micro, cooking in the microwave the yeah things. no they need to know this stuff yeah I don't even know if I should want to make ramen noodles he should be able to do that right right or he'll end up like eating like baked beans out of a frisbee or something in college <laughs> do you find that some parents feel like they, they would like to teach their because it's often easier to have a, a child or your kid in a in a classroom yeah. rather than doing it like some kids just like one-on-one it's like i know how to do it or there's sort of that there can be sort of that weird weirdness 
if you're trying to teach your kids, like they get resistant. They're annoyed. Yeah. I, I'm an annoying mom is what I'm saying. <laughs> I think we're not our own kids' best teachers all the time. That's what I think. And yes. I think, okay, so if I have, I have teenagers, if I'm in the kitchen with them and we've got to get dinner on the table, it's probably not the best time for me to be patient with them and teach them. Like, cause we're, we're, we're putting dinner on the table and that's what most people are doing at home too. But our, we don't have that stress at schoolhouse. Like right. there's no dinner going on the table. Like we're just having fun. Like there's, See, that's... yeah, there's no stress and there's no mom yelling like, Oh, you're making a mess in my kitchen. Get out of here. There's none of that. Like we're like make a mess in our kitchen. That's what you're here right. for. I yeah. remember doing that when, when Griffin was really little, like getting his hand, like making pudding for the same, for the first time and like the texture of it was all over the plate. I loved it. Yeah. But you're right. When you're trying to get something done and you see, like you kind of see the way that like, I just remember, he would like stir and like not get everything I'm like you need to stir the whole thing I know it could be frustrating yeah. <laughs> right you have to like measure yourself and, and be paced I yeah. love that uh, we're talking to Cheryl Connect Cheryl Connect from Schoolhouse Kitchen and uh, she's got some first of all people can register now for the summer the summer events yeah summer, summer camp fun. it's already like filling up oh wow it's February still right <laughs> Almost tomorrow. It's leap year. I know. So, so exciting. One more day of February. I know. So homesteading camp 2024. Let's talk about that when we come back and find out what homesteading camp is and then uh, and some more events coming up. And again, to register for any of the slots that are still available for yeah. uh, making pizza with Billy, uh, where do folks go for that? Um, our website is I love schoolhouse.com and you can go under Portage Park classes and that's where it is. Awesome. We'll come back with Show Connect when we come back on WCPT 820 Heartland Signal. To driving it home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. We are hanging out in uh, the WCPT studios with Cheryl Connect, the uh, proprietor, the business, the businesswoman, the mastermind behind Schoolhouse Kitchen. You can go to iloveschoolhouse.com to find out about all their programs. And uh, Friday night, they're having they're making pizza with Billy, uh, tripping Billy's Pizza, and uh, you can find out more about that at iloveschoolhouse.com. And you can click on uh, any one of the locations. Again, there's one in Portage Park, and the other is in River Wicker Park. Wicker Park, and about to open in Oker Park. Oker Park. Oker Park. Oker Park. So many parks. All the piles. Well, and oh, we got to do uh, some comedy last year in Oak Park, which was a blast. Yeah, I came out and saw you. It was very it was cool. Awesome. Thank you. And it was, and I there's so many great events. I know we we love the folks from Porch Fest that we'll be uh, hanging out with again this summer, and uh, just a lot of great things going on. You had Sugar Beet. Uh, let's remind folks where'd you grow up, Cheryl. I grew up in Kentucky. Yeah. I love that. You're like, I'm from Kentucky and I'm, I'm making a small empire in Chicago. That's right. This yeah. is my home now. I love it here. How, how long have you lived in Chicago? I, oh, gosh. Um, over 20 years. Wow. 22, 23 so years. you're Chicago. I am a Chicagoan. Yeah. yeah. Have my kids here, raise, you know, raising my family here. This is... Now, do, do, does everyone like cooking or do they like, oh, we're trying something for your class, aren't we, mom? Oh, no, the kids. My yeah. kids are 16 and 13 and they both love cooking, but they both come at it from a very different angle. Oh, so Cedar is my 16 year old and he's a, a rising Eagle Scout. So he goes camping like every other weekend oh. and he's what they call the quartermaster. He's in charge of the food. And uh, so he knows how to cook really well in um, in the outdoors. Okay. So he can do it all in the Dutch oven. 
his troop makes Thanksgiving dinner in like uh, like October, I think we went out there, and he had like made pies and like they're cooking the whole meal. Do they make the iron pies? I used to make iron. Remember the they have a, it's like a clamp. It's kind of like a sandwich maker thing. Oh no, they didn't do it that way. Oh. Like he makes it in a Dutch oven oh, over right. open flame. Nice. Um, yeah, he's That's an amazing a, cook, but uh, like outside, it's more advanced than my Girl Scout cooking skills. We had, I mean, like we used to make a tin foil, a lot of tin foil meals, <laughs> right? We'd put like the meat, like the, we'd have a hamburger patty and put like onions and things in there oh, yeah. and mushrooms, and then put it on the fire and let it cook until it was hopefully done <laughs> or not overdone. Anything tastes good after you've been camping. I mean, right? It's yeah, all good. It and is. then my youngest, who's thirteen, he's super into like. Asian food. So he's always making his own like ramen concoctions. So I think my kids are very different cooks than I am. And we all like share the kitchen together and we get along. You know, (laughs) it's all good. I end up doing all the dishes though. That's not okay. It's not. How does that happen, Cheryl? I don't know. (laughs) That's not okay. Have we brought this up? Have we had a meeting about the dish situation? The Sev- pots and pans. Several meetings. Okay. Yeah. We have, and, and what was the outcome from that? No, no resolution. I'm that- just a pushover, and I want it done, so I just do it. <laughs> Fine. Don't do the dishes. Fine. Um, I, I I do have a situation in my house. Uh, it's better now uh, because I've, I've made it part of my act. Uh, my husband used to leave the sticky pan in the sink for a while. Oh, no. Especially if it was a, like, like he likes the ones that are nonstick. If it doesn't have the nonstick coating on it and it gets some of that uh, juice kind of burnt on it, mm-hmm. he'd let it soak. And I don't know why he thinks it's soaking is an action. It's not. It's not. Over the course of a week, I don't know what magic is supposed to happen with soap and water. No. It's like kicking the can down the road. Yeah. So now everything is nonstick. Yeah. Do you, is, is it better? Do you have a preference when you're making a meal with nonstick? Oh. I know. I, you know, I have some really good like cast iron that I have kind of made nonstick. And when you cook in cast iron what? over and over and over again, it has a patina that it it really performs like a nonstick pan. I may have to come to your place with my with my iron skillet because it's a mess. No, you really got to ruin an iron skillet. Um, you can ruin it, but then you can can you re yes unruin it. You can resurrect. Can I resurrect? It? <laughs> we have to talk because I have I have my I have a lodge iron oh, skillet. Yeah. Yeah. Totally, you can bring it back to life okay. and you can make it yours. Because it's it's dirt. I mean, like any t- if, I, if I take a paper towel, no no amount of wiping it will get the blackness out of it. Yeah, no. You, there's a process for it. Okay, and it's not as hard. Everyone thinks it's very difficult, but once you kind of like get in a groove with the thing, it's it's really a great pan. Like, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, right. so I love I like working in like heavy duty, heavy bottom pans like cast iron. Yeah, I, I I would like to. Only mine's ruined. <laughs> We're hanging out with Cheryl Connect, the uh, the, the mastermind behind uh, Schoolhouse Kitchen. You can go to iloveschoolhouse.com, and she's got the camp schedule up. Uh, she's also got it's for the home. What's the in the homestead camp then? Homestead camp. Yeah, so kids taking care of themselves, each other, and their world. Like I just think kids need those skills, like the home ec skills that they may be missing in school now. Um, so they're cooking every morning. They come in and they're going to make a recipe. That's their lunch. So they're cooking their own lunch. And then um, from there, we're playing. We're um, making, remember those old potholder loom things? Yeah. So we're learning basic weaving. They make a lot of bracelets and cool stuff like that. But they're learning sewing, um, paper making, um, all kinds of like crafts, like handicrafts. And then we make a, a really cool snack in the afternoon. It's usually a baked 
good. So every day, two recipes and then lots of just like life skill kind of fun play. Ah, I wish I'd had a camp like that. Me too. Do you want to hang out and kind of co-host with me for a little bit? We're going to talk to our friend Dan Schaefer for a little bit about all things Wisconsin. Yes. Do you want to hang out? I would love to. I'm so glad you do. We might talk cars later if you want to hang out for that too. I like cars. Show Connects co-hosting now. I've decided. I've made the decision. 773-763-9278 if you want to jump on with me and Dan Schaefer. We're going to talk about what's going on in Wisconsin and Show Connect is guest co-hosting with us from coolhouse.com. More after this on WCPT 820 Heartland Signal. Driving it home with Patty Vasquez, Patty Vasquez. From global conflicts to greenhouse gases, the folks refusing to wear masks says, and politicians getting caught grabbing asses says, she's driving it home with Patty Vasquez. Thank you so much for driving it home with us. I am your host, Patty Vasquez. I want to say hi to our friends listening in Minneapolis, St. Paul on KTNF 950 AM. In studio, my guest co-host today is Cheryl Connect, the proprietor of the mastermind behind Schoolhouse Kitchen. You go to iloveschoolhouse.com to find out about all their great programs, including their homesteading camp coming up this summer. The schedules are up so you can register your kids. And on the line with us is the mastermind. I have masterminds on the show today. I just decided to call you all that. Uh, Dan Schaefer, the publisher and writer for Recombobulation area. Dan, how are you doing on this uh, more cold than yesterday, Wednesday? <laughs> I'm a little discombobulated. The weather has been, you know, a little all over the place these past couple of days. It was 75 yesterday. It was like 15 degrees this morning. It's, uh, I guess this is life in the Midwest and uh, as climate change takes hold, huh? Yeah. Did you guys have any, did you have any uh, tornado alarms near you? Because there was a lot touching down in Illinois. I think there was a little bit south of me. I'm in Milwaukee, so I think some in Racine and Kenosha County might have had some uh, some tornado warnings, some of those alarms going off. None near me, though. Lots of lightning. We had lots and lots of lightning. Oh, yeah. Uh, in Milwaukee last night, yeah. Now, Cheryl, you live uh, Oak Park is west. Did you guys have uh, any t- any sort of severe weather beyond the heavy rain that we all kind of lightning? Yes, yeah, it was scary. It was, very yeah. Scary. And I was up actually at Northwestern. Oh, yeah, part of the lakefront. Yeah, that had to be a little bit more daunting. And yeah, the sirens scary. were going off, and I'm uh, running around outside. So seek shelter. Yikes, yeah. uh, Dan. What uh, I know that uh, we talk a lot about how important Wisconsin is in every election nationally. Uh, it sounds as though the Democrats are ready to put some uh, some money where their mouths are in Wisconsin to, to secure some seats. Is that right? Yeah, I think we're we're starting to see some of the early signs of of this new landscape for the uh, for the state legislature. And now that we're going to have you know a more competitive state legislature where it's not just entrenched one party control uh, all the time uh, as we had for so many years under the gerrymander. Now that uh, now that we have new maps in Wisconsin, we're starting to get a a little bit of an understanding of what that's going to be. So there was a story today uh, about, you know, some new investments that the Democratic uh, Legislative Campaign Committee, the National Committee that focuses on uh, state legislatures across the country. They're actually going to be investing a little bit in Wisconsin this year. That has not been the case uh, in the past because, well, it has not really been possible to Flip the assembly to uh, Democratic control. Uh, that will change this year. I think, uh, you know, we're going to yeah, – I'm starting to dig into the numbers and, and see exactly uh, where things are going to look like for the for the assembly. But, you know, in the, in the Wisconsin State Assembly, in the 99 members, it's been more than 60 Republicans of those 99 members uh, basically since 2012. 
and so that's going to be a, it's going to be a real change there uh, when it's going to look much closer to uh, to a fifty fifty matchup. Um, and so I think uh, I think there's real opportunity, you know, for some national money to come into Wisconsin and flip that assembly and make Robin Voss our longtime. Uh, assembly speaker, the minority leader, instead of the uh, instead of the assembly speaker. That sounds like a, a very desirable change in the situation in Wisconsin, because <laughs> there's so much that has been derailed by Republicans. I, 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 let me remind me, because I don't think Cheryl has, uh, has heard this number. What is your your budget surplus at right now? Because I know it was like at seven billion last time I talked to you. Yeah, we went into the last budget cycle with about a $7 billion surplus. I think that it's now more uh, in the $4 billion range, but okay. still, you know, still significant. Uh, and there are still a number of things, you know, the, the, the budget uh, was was signed, of course, but it's, it didn't, uh, it, it, there was a number of things that the, you know, the Democrats wanted to fund in the state of Wisconsin, things like child care, things like environmental cleanup, um, Medicaid expansion, uh, school funding, a number of different things uh, that just did not get addressed in the Republican budget. And, you know, Republicans want to do what they always do. They want, they have their one economic policy for everything. It's a tax cut. And so they've, they've proposed a whole number of different, different tax cuts for that budget surplus. But now it's, it's just a perpetual stalemate, uh, that we have with divided government in Wisconsin with a Republican legislature and a Democratic governor. But now, you know, finally, for the first time in a long time, opportunity for that to change. Yeah, no kidding. I know that at the federal level, I believe uh, Tammy Duckworth was introducing legislation to protect IVF uh, treatment. Is there any talk amongst Wisconsin legislators on where they stand on IVF? Because I know uh, Republicans are trying to figure out where they stand, and it's falling to a lot of state legislatures to decide where they're going to move after the Alabama decision. Yeah, I, you know, I haven't seen the, the, this is one of those weird quirks uh, with the Wisconsin legislature. They're basically in process of wrapping things up for the year what? right now. <laughs> so we have a full time state legislature in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, but the way that things have gone under Republican control over the past decade plus is that Right about right around this time of the year, uh, in late February, early March, they wrap up their legislative session and they don't come back for a summer session or a fall session or or anything like that. Uh, They basically just wrap things up and and go home to to fundraise and campaign uh, for the rest of the year. So the the Wisconsin State Assembly last week uh, essentially ended their floor session. So there were a number of bills that didn't get signed, a number of things that didn't, uh, uh, you know, didn't get across the finish line, Um, you know, some really important uh, election administration reforms, uh, some really important bills uh, across the board uh, that just have been stalled. And, you know, I think uh, even if somebody wanted to introduce something, uh, you know, protecting IVF or anything like that right now, wouldn't be able to because they, they decide to, you know, take the next 10 months off. It's a pretty nice gig, I guess, they've got for themselves. And, you know, I think it's going to be interesting. Uh, as this year unfolds, if, if, you know, things like that, that have just become the norm under Republican control in the state legislature, if, if those become campaign issues, because it kind of was a couple of years ago, you know, during COVID when, when uh, uh, the Wisconsin state legislature had to earn the, earned the distinction of being the least active full-time legislature in the country, they went nearly 300 days 
uh, without passing a single bill during 2020 when there was obviously many, many things uh, they could be could have been taking action on, um, but uh, yeah, that's uh, that's just kind of how things have worked for for a long time uh, under Republican control. Wow, it is. I mean, to give perspective for folks who aren't sure how it works in Illinois, our General Assembly is 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 in Springfield basically from late January through the end of May, and then they come back for a veto session in the fall for several weeks to wrap up anything that needs to be or anything that maybe was vetoed and need, and they'll come back for a special session when we had a budget impasse, uh, when we had things to resolve. Uh, they'll they'll have special session in the summer, and, and so I guess in comparison, I should be very happy with the General Assembly that we have in Illinois, which I am, by the way. Sorry. Sorry, Dan. But you're working on it. You guys are getting there. It, we're getting there. We're getting there. And I think uh, this this year presents a really interesting opportunity to do that. And, and you know, we're still kind of understanding what uh, uh, what these new maps uh, will mean for Wisconsin. But, uh, you know, a number of the early projections that I've seen have, have said that, you know, I think uh, Republicans will be slight favorites. You know, incumbency matters. A whole lot in these legislative races in Wisconsin. It's a name you know, um, you know, and Republicans have long had a big uh, fundraising advantage in the state legislature. Um, you know, a lot of that has to do with the biggest political donor in Wisconsin, who is an Illinois resident, Dick Uline and Liz Uline of the Uline Company uh, Corporation. Um, they pour millions and millions of dollars. I think they outspent. You know, maybe just on their own, outspent all the money that went to the legislative Democrats last cycle. So that's going to be, you know, a big thing to to counter. But I think at the same time, for the first time in more than a decade, there was an actual path for Democrats to flip the assembly. Uh, yeah, and uh, it can't come too soon. I did not hear about this story where the the Medicaid for uh, postpartum treatment they they're withholding that for new mothers. Yep. Yeah. So what? Wisconsin is one of, I think, only four or five states uh, that has not expanded Medicaid for postpartum coverage for new mothers. Wisconsin, of course, is one of the only states to not expand Medicaid, period. I saw that Mississippi uh, today, those, those pinko liberals in Mississippi uh, voted to expand Medicaid there today, so I guess that puts Wisconsin to the right of Mississippi Wow, uh, on this issue. Uh, but it, it's also, you know, it, it's, it, it, you know, the uh, it, one of those issues that for postpartum treatment uh, for new mothers in Wisconsin, we have not expanded Medicaid for for that either. Um, and I think there was a, there was a really good story yesterday on this from uh, Wisconsin Watch, uh, and talking about how you know two out of every five new mothers in the state of Wisconsin are on Badger Care, which is our version. Uh, of Medicaid in the state of Wisconsin. And, you know, it, this is being held up by one person. It's being held up by Robin Voss. It passed with a bipartisan majority uh, in the state Senate. I think the vote was was something like 30 to 2 or something like that. Um, and because of one person uh, in the state assembly who's refusing uh, to let this bill code go to the floor for a vote, and he even said in an interview, we already give away too many things, uh, you know, health care 
for new moms. Yeah. Uh, I guess we're that's too much of a giveaway. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that is, is leaving Wisconsin is, is just one of just a handful of states uh, that has not taken this action. And I'm guessing the other states similarly want the Republican leg- legislatures want to prevent women from having access to reproductive health care in whatever form that might take. So that's fascinating. Yeah. It all aligns. Yeah, it, is, it is all it is all red states that have done that. Yeah, and, and, uh, you know, it is it is really life and death outcomes for a lot of people. And it's it's really uh, it's really scary to think that, you know, people might be in such difficult situations like that. And, and we could take action. We have bipartisan majorities that, that could take action on this, but they're not. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to share one other example of, of that, you know, um, uh, of that dynamic at play in Wisconsin as well. Yeah. Um, so you may be familiar on election night how uh, Wisconsin it, people are often anxiously awaiting the results in Wisconsin and in Milwaukee in particular. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So last in, yes. in 2020, the, <laughs> I'm so scared to hear what's going to happen next. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> so in 2020, the, the election results for Milwaukee were not reported until late, late, late into the night. We have a rule here in Wisconsin where clerks who are processing absentee ballots are not allowed to open those ballots and start counting them until election day. So because we had so many absentee ballots. Uh, in 2020, because of a lot of the mail-in voting, uh, that led to uh, a late night, what they called ballot dumps. Now, Donald Trump and a lot of his MAGA allies have put a spotlight on this and saying this is the reason for voter fraud. All of a sudden, Milwaukee will change the votes in the middle of the night. Well, of course, that's not what's, not what's happening. It's just that Milwaukee has, to, has certain rules for when it can count its votes. Uh, and so in order to address that, to make a change on that, uh, uh, a bill was introduced and passed with bipartisan majorities in the assembly uh, to change that, to allow clerks to start processing ballots a day ahead of time on Monday. Uh, not, you know, not, not a huge change, one extra day, but that one extra day can make a huge difference to, to counteract some of the uh, conspiracy theories. But again, we have in, in the Wisconsin state legislature, a number of these far-right election deniers who are who are playing to their base and saying that, you know, we ca- they can't take this up for a vote because they don't trust Milwaukee to do the right thing and, and putting the, uh, the onus on Milwaukee to, to make a change in this. And it is another example of just how dysfunctional our state legislature it is. And I think when we get to November, I think you, people will think back to uh, what happened this week. Uh, in the state legislature when they're waiting up into the middle of the night, waiting for these ballots to be processed. And it's because of a, of a silly little decision that Wisconsin Republicans uh, made in February before they went to go home for the year at the end of their session. Wow. It's a very frustrating dynamic. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, it wouldn't, uh, it, it wouldn't keep me awake at night if it was any other way. <laughs> And if I had known that I didn't need to, to live in Wisconsin to run for a Wisconsin seat against Tammy Baldwin, I would have thrown my hat in the race. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what is happening with your candidate against that's running against Tammy Baldwin? He's a Californian who, I guess, grew up in Wisconsin, and so he knows he likes cheese. Is that his thing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, Eric Hovde is the uh, 
is the uh, the National Republicans' pick to be running for for Senate in Wisconsin. And uh, the thing about Eric Hovde is he ran for he ran for Senate a decade ago. Uh, so he ran for Senate in 2012 in Wisconsin. But a lot of the time since he's been in California. Uh, he owns a bank in California. Owns As you a do, home sure. In Orange County. Who doesn't own and, a bank in California? Uh, Wisconsin Democrats <laughs> have, have been having a lot of fun with that over the past couple of weeks uh, since Humphrey announced his campaign. They had the Real Housewives of Orange County uh, talk about Eric Humphrey, who was named like you know. I think it was, it was like the Orange County Business Journal or something named him one of like the people to watch or what, whatever one of those lists are, um, you know. Uh, and so he's, he's even said that most of his work uh, in recent years has been at his his bank in California. But I guess he's uh, I guess he's coming back to Wisconsin uh, when he sees an opportunity to to run for Senate. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think that dynamic of his uh his you know living and working in california for most of the last few years do you think that'll come up a few times on the campaign trail this year i'm not couple couple, two three i'm guessing (laughs) (laughs) wow yeah and my guess is uh, well i guess he'll be happy that uh he gets to do it in the warm weather so he doesn't have to worry about the wisconsin winter to do any of his campaigning he waited until until we were past all the blizzard blizzard territory Wow, what well, else? I yeah. think one of the things with him too is that he, he not not only has he you know been living and working in California, and even though he has you know businesses in Madison and whatever, he has not voted. I, I believe there was a, there was a story from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel last year. He didn't vote in like seventeen of the last thirty elections in Wisconsin. Uh, so, you know, uh, it's just, yeah, uh, just very to show how yeah. disconnected he's been from the state for so long. Wow. That's wild. But yeah, I mean, you know, I guess he even though Dr. Oz failed at it, he figures why not take another swing? A rich guy coming in. I wonder what's his motivation? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I'm guessing just money and power, right, Dan? Yeah, it's, that certainly seems to be part of it. You know, uh, it's uh, it's a, it's a strange dynamic. You know, we basically had this happen. Uh, during the midterms in Wisconsin too, when uh, Tim Michaels was the was the Republican candidate for governor, uh, again somebody with with Wisconsin ties, but who had been living and working in Connecticut for for a long time, uh, and then you know came back to Wisconsin to self fund a run for statewide office. It seems odd how many carpetbaggers there are, you know, running for office across the country in so many of these seats right now. That is wild. Uh, before we let you go, which again, we're talking to Dan Schaefer, the publisher and writer for Recombobulation Area. Make sure that you follow him on Twitter and right there in his bio, you can click on the link to subscribe to his newsletter so you can get that, uh, those updates on what's going on in Wisconsin. And I do want, I'm reminded uh, by your feed because uh, you retweeted the story about the passing of comedian Richard Lewis. Uh, I want to say that I had the uh, honor and privilege of opening for him in the 90s. Uh, Dan, I don't know if you remember the uh, heat wave that we had here in Chicago where really sadly a lot of people passed away. But someone wrote, I was opening for him, Richard always wore all black. And someone wrote, it was so hot yeah. in Chicago, Richard Lewis wore white. So, <laughs> <laughs> but he was he was great. He was uh, he, I was working with him when he had just uh, was in his um, phase of, of recovery. He had uh, become sober, had, uh, you know, was uh Dealing with that and uh, coming back on on stage, and uh, it was great to work with him and relaunch his career in the nineties. Oh, that's, so, that's amazing that you had that had that connection there. I, a huge fan of Kirby Enthusiasm, so I, I've just been. He, oh, he always makes me laugh when he and Larry go back and forth. He was uh, on yeah. That. He was so, the first big comedian uh, that I ever. Day. 
Yeah, he was the first big comic I ever worked with, and he, he was the one that taught me that uh, if you're good enough, there's no introduction necessary except for, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome oh. Richard Lewis. Oh, it's so lovely. <laughs> it's great. Were you like 10 when you worked with him? Oh, stop. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was a baby, but I was a brand new comic, but he was very kind to me and always a, fun, always a pleasure to work with and brought great audiences, so I know he'll be missed. So thank you for reminding me. I had, I, it's one of those things where there's so many things going on. So yeah, I know a lot of folks are, are thinking about Richard Lewis and his family today. Uh, he passed away at the age of, eight, of 76. Dan, what else are you working on before we let you go? Uh, it's starting to look ahead at some of these state legislative elections uh, and this new landscape for Wisconsin. I had a chance to uh, talk with some of the folks from the Democratic Party earlier today to see what see what was going on. So I will uh, I will have a story on that coming soon. Outstanding, everyone. Follow. Uh, hold on, a second. someone has a question. Is a guest on now a member of the Democratic Party or Democratic Farmer Labor Party? Uh, I'm not sure. Maybe it's a, a text for another person because you guys don't have the, the Democratic fa- Farmer Labor Party. That's in Minnesota, isn't it? That, that's a Minnesota thing, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, everyone follow Dan and find out what he's working on and ke- keep up with the stories going on in Wisconsin. I'll try to get you someone from Minnesota, too, but Dan's our guy in Wisconsin, especially because we share a border. We had a great event. Oh, I forgot to tell you, Dan. We had uh, a fundraiser for Lorenzo Santos. He's running for the first congressional, and we met a lot of the candidates running for Kenosha County Board, for the school boards. Some of them have had a lot of stories about people who take over meetings and want to read passages from uh, books that sh- they don't want to have kids exposed to. So, yeah, a lot of great candidates that we met. Uh, just uh, so look, we look forward to doing more events in Wisconsin, and hopefully, hopefully, connect with you as well. Glad to hear it. Kenosha, Kenosha County is going to be an important uh, swing region of the state, so we'll, we'll keep uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye on what's going on there. Outstanding. Have a great evening, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you so much. Be well. Take care. Bye. That's Dan Schaefer. Follow him on Twitter. Sign up for his newsletter. Stay up to date. More after this on WCPT 820. Joining me is guest co-host Cheryl Connect from Schoolhouse Kitchen. Go to iloveschoolhouse.com. More after this. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. Tom Appel is here. Don't forget, folks, uh, you can go to iloveschoolhouse.com to find out about all the programs at Schoolhouse Kitchen. I was going to ask Cheryl what kind of car she drives, but I'll have to find out next time because Tom Appel is in studio with us to talk cars. If you have any questions, if, you, if there's something on your mind you've been waiting all month to ask Tom, 773-763-9278. Hey, Tom. Hey. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm very well. Uh, I, I've been there. I saw a new Honda, oh. and then I saw, I guess it's their new EV, and someone wrote, it's it's a good EV, not as good of a Honda. Like, it's not as good at being a Honda, but it's good at being an electrical electric vehicle. That might be an astute observation. Okay. The, the Honda Prologue, yes. new midsize crossover, good-looking thing, uh, was co-developed with General Motors. So uh, General Motors has this massive electric car program, mm-hmm. and to try to, uh, you know, kind of move those costs around a little bit, partnered with Honda on a couple of vehicles. There's an Acura product coming as well. That's called the ZDX. Okay. Kind of the same vehicle, but made more accurate, a little sportier, a little more upscale. But yes, astute observation, it may not feel that much like a Honda. 
Right. Because Honda, I mean, there is a difference. Uh, the handling of a Honda is just, it's elegant, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah. Hondas are surprisingly light on their feet. They just feel naturally sporty. Yeah. Even the Odyssey minivan, which is a big, I remember. Yeah. big heavy thing, but still kind of feels light on its feet. And that's that's a Honda trademark. They, they're fun to drive. Yeah. Because we, we tried every minivan. Uh, we bought a 2005. So we tried the Nissan Quest, the uh-huh. Toyota Sienna, the Chrysler, I don't know what the ones with the stowaway seats. Then? Yes, it was a town and country yeah. then. Because I know now it's a Pacifica, right? Right, right. Uh, which, how, now how is that doing? Is a, That's an EV now, right? Or is that a hybrid? No, there's a plug-in hybrid variant. Okay, that's what it is. Okay. Yeah, and that's a pretty effective plug-in hybrid. They've had some some uh, quality issues with that, which is a, a bummer because it's a really good plug-in hybrid vehicle. Okay, what are the quality? Just the... Uh, there's just, just some recalls for little things. It's been problematic, Okay, which is a little irritating. They might have fixed all those problems, but people should know that going in. Okay. Uh, someone asks, is the, yes, I would say, right, I, I, I'm going to tell you myself as an owner, uh, is the RAV4, oh, I don't know if it's the most reliable, so I can't answer that definitively, but someone's asking, is the RAV4 the most reliable SUV? I hear that often. Um, I don't, it's, it's hard to quantify, right? Yeah, hard to answer that exactly, and I mm-hmm. haven't seen the numbers, but it's it's certainly up there. It is among the most reliable for sure. Okay, it's among. Yeah, I would say. Yeah. I mean, I had a, I, I had a very, uh, you know, in the new, I had a two thousand, I think, a CRV, uh-huh. and I love, I loved that car until the day it was no longer drivable. Yeah, and the CRV <laughs> and the Rav Four are still the, the most popular compact crossovers, and they should be. The Nissan Rogue is really cute. Rogue is great. Yeah. The thing I like, I like the Rogue better than the RAV4 because I'm a big guy. Okay. And I fit better in it. Oh. For whatever reason, the RAV4, which is otherwise outstanding, mm-hmm. a little cramped up front. So if you're tall or wide, okay. you're not going to feel that comfortable in a RAV4. All right. Or the Altima, not the Altima, I'm sorry, the Rogue, very roomy. Is the, Do they make that in a hybrid? The Rogue, sorry. No, they do not. Yeah, no, there's an electric vehicle there, the Aria. All right. Oh. Which is pure electric, and it's a lot like the Rogue. It's, a, it's an entirely different vehicle, but about the same size. Looks like a Nissan. All right. Different vehicle. I don't know when I'll be ready to make the jump to electric. I, I, I like my hybrids a lot. There's nothing like being able to fill up your car with $35. No, no, and if it's you're amazing. happy with it, there's no reason to go electric yet. No one needs to do that yet. Yet. In five years, like the next time you buy a car. Maybe. Like two cars from now. Okay. You might want to think about it. <laughs> we'll see. But, but stuff will be easier and cheaper then, too. There will be contractors who install chargers like like they're going out of style. Like, you know, right now it's still a little difficult sure. to do that, and it won't be. It's like it's like when flat screen TVs came out. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a little bit. It'll cost you, instead of being $5,000, it'll be 300 Yeah, my wife and it's I did crazy. that. We, we were, one year, we're like, we're not getting ourselves presents for Christmas or birthdays, we're going to buy a flat screen. And yeah. at the time, they were two grand, and we just wouldn't yeah. do it. Right. And then one day, we were just walking around Costco and found a flat screen for 400 bucks. Didn't even check our phones. We <laughs> <laughs> just put it in our cart. <laughs> right. You're like, okay, we waited long enough. Yeah. I had a 30 32-inch deep tube television that we bought. And, and it's funny because I was on the road with Lewis Black. Uh-huh. I was in uh, I was in Appleton, Wisconsin, and the TV that we had went out. And so Steve was, we were, he was getting one from Best Buy. So we ended up, I remember, I, I still had the receipt like a few years ago. And uh, <laughs> But it was a deep tube, I mean like a heavy big yeah. television. And uh, even the, cor- like, the color was going out in the top corner was kind of purple. <laughs> but nobody wa- we didn't want to get rid of it. One, it was too heavy. Everyone's like, it still works. And I was like, alright, fine. But during the pandemic, I was like, that's it. I mean, this television was 20 years old when we finally replaced it, which is pretty good. So we have a, a flat screen we got for like 320. Well, when, when I was of, of age to start helping my friends move from their first apartments to their first homes, right, there weren't flat screens oh, yet. So I know. 
worst. TVs were so heavy and oh, hard to move. Oh, my God. They were really so simple. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's remarkable. <laughs> um, speaking of buying new cars, I, I heard uh, today, I believe on one of our news broadcasts, that new cars, the prices of new cars are coming down. A little bit. And they said it's going to be the, the the least expensive in five years. Yeah, it's still it's still hovering. Like it got up to forty eight grand, and depending on who you ask, maybe fifty grand. And you never knew what they meant by transaction price because different people measure that differently. But it seems to have slipped down to maybe forty seven grand now. So for it's what? Pretty, for, for the seven? average transaction price on a new car. Oh my God! I'm sorry. The average transaction price on a new car is forty seven thousand dollars. Yeah, it's been sticky, and part of the reason it's been sticky is that the supply has been slightly constrained. So manufacturers are only putting higher trim levels of vehicles out there. Wow. And then EVs are driving those prices up a little bit because there's enough EVs now that they impact that price too. And EVs just cost more. Okay. I'm, I, I, am I, I feel like I, I feel like I, I did not expect you to say that that was the average price of like my chest. Like that, that's, I mean, I know that there are, it's in the money. mix, it's a, but it's also a mix of luxury cars and bigger cars. Right. And as you mentioned, electric cars, cause I, I mean, like it was hard to buy my used car. I can't even yeah, and, and the affordable cars are gone too. We, we had the, uh, the, the Hyundai Accent disappear and Kia made a little car down there too. Honda Fit, gone. right? Those are Honda gone? Honda Fit is gone. That's crazy. So you have to go with uh, the Honda um, uh, F. Yeah, what is that one? I'll think of it in a second. But you have to go with their smallest crossover, and that costs a couple grand more because it's a crossover. And that's what's happening to prices, too. There just isn't that much at the bottom end. But on the other end, Americans don't seem to want to buy smaller, smaller, more I affordable know. cars. I wish I wish we did. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I mean, there was a new study recently about, you know, the how high, the higher, obviously, the front end of the car, the least likely a pedestrian is to survive impact. And, uh, and, and it's just people are driving. I don't know if it's still like the coming out of the pandemic or we are dealing with a lot more stress, but people are driving so erratically still, and worse than I remember. Yeah, because during the pandemic, we had that thing where no one was on the roads in the evening, and highway fatalities went up because right. people were driving bonkers yeah. at late at night on the highway, and they were exceeding triple digits, and bad things were happening. And for whatever reason, even though there's more traffic, it doesn't seem like that behavior has tapered off as much as it should have. It really does not. No. Uh, the other thing for me that I, I stress about uh, is the uh, the headlights. This is, some, and I know that there, there are some states that are trying to figure out legislation for how the, the how bright the LEDs are. Right? Is that what they are now? LEDs, the new technology. Yeah, oh, it's very so clean, very bright. It's good light if you're in the car and you want to sure. see the road. Fantastic. Yeah. But if you're like me, I mean, like it, it's blinding. I mean, it's painful sometimes with how. I mean, and other times, like there are cars that when they hit a bump, like it, it sort yeah. of, it, and they flick, they look at their flickering, and it seems like it's a you know emergency vehicle or something. Sometimes, yeah, that's distracting. It's really distracting. The the LED thing will probably end up being corrected by legislation. And one of the things that's happening, and this is standard equipment in a lot of cars, is automatic high beams. So they will go on if they detect no light in front of you whatsoever, oh. and if a car crusts it. Hill and the car, your car detects the headlights of that vehicle, the low beams kick in. So that's probably going to be the actual fix. It's a relatively inexpensive thing to do. It's showing up increasingly as standard equipment on new cars. Okay. Uh, that's good. I, that's I kind of like that development. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, I know that uh, um, you know when you, when you're driving long distances. I just drove through uh, Michigan, by the way. I went through uh, Muskegon up to uh, Shelby, Michigan for an event. Uh-huh. And I, I forgot how much I like being on the road. I, I, I have a maximum. I like th- three hours is about when I start to be like, okay, that's enough for me. <laughs> three and a half hours, maybe four hours. If we're pushing it. 
Do you like long drives? I do. I used to drive to St. Louis maybe once a month to do a radio show down there. Yeah. And, and I enjoyed that. And I would, I would, what I would do, which was fun, is I would take off. I would, this was a long time ago. My kid was little. So I would tuck my kid in, mm-hmm. and I'd hit the road and just drive till I got sleepy, which was pretty much almost all the way down there. Okay. But that was a fun drive. Yeah. It was quiet, and it was easy. And just a few trucks on the road. I like relaxed evening driving <laughs> on too. the open road. Yeah. Yeah. Daylight makes me You don't want to be. I, I get drowsy when I drive in the daylight. I really do. But I, I, I was enjoying driving in Michigan and I was, you know, we've had a listener uh, texting about uh, gas prices. I feel like we're, we're kind of hovering in the in Chicagoland area around 350. Yeah, they kind of bounced back. A little bit. Yeah, we were like, late last year, things were getting really cheap for a little bit. And then, yeah, yeah they're back. I think they're, they're, they're kind of back up again. Uh, let's take a break here. We're hanging out. Oh, I don't, it's earlier than I thought it was. I don't take a break yet. What? <laughs> what? Well, this is a good time for me to ask. What are you driving? Because you get to try out all the new stuff. Yeah, I am driving the Dodge Hornet. Um, and then Hornet, if people remember the name, is an old American Motors name okay. that goes back to the 70s. But AMC was swallowed by Chrysler, so Dodge now has access to that name. But it's a new small crossover. Okay. Um, and it is it is pretty caffeinated. Ooh, look at that. It, it, there's, there's a lot. Yeah, kind of a spunky looking thing. Yeah. Fun to drive. Um I think that if you're looking for something really refined and comfortable during a commute, this is not the way to go. If you want to have fun in your car and you're looking for something, you know, with a little, little buzz under the hood, this is this is a fun car. So nice, nicely put together. Interior is nice. It's fun to drive. Handling is great. Mm-hmm. Noisier than I expected. Okay. Um, but but that's kind of part for the course with a lot of Chrysler products. But um, I'm, I'm kind of digging it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a. It looks. It, I don't. It's not cute. It's, sport, it's sporty, though. Yeah, it's pretty. I think for a compact crossover, that's almost as aggressive as you can get it. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I. I uh, it's funny. There's a uh, Steve uh, texted me one morning. He's like, uh, "Your car's out front," and it was a. Uh, a a charger, a Dodge Charger uh, in purple. I love the color. And I was like, oh, that's my favorite color. And, the, and you mentioned that those are now, they've, they've t- the noise, they don't have that big noise anymore. It's it's uh, it's artificial now, right? Well, that's the thing, because the Charger, the next generation of the car, the Charger is going to be electric. Okay. So and, they don't and, have that. Yeah. yeah. And there may be a gasoline-powered version, but they're not going to use V8s anymore. They're, they're, they're turbocharged inline-sixes. will be much more smooth, much more refined. Also, turbochargers tend to quiet the exhaust okay? because they are in the stream and they take the burble out of it. So we'll see what happens with noise. But one of the things that, that Dodge has been talking about with the new electric charger is fake noise, which seems really silly to me. I do. I think so, too. Because, uh, you know, when I was a kid driving around in a car that we would throw glass packs on, which were the cheapest possible mufflers because you wanted noise in those days, that noise was very visceral and really a part of the engine. And it was very connected. And you enjoyed driving a loud, crazy, you know kid car but fake noise is weird yeah <laughs> it does it doesn't relate to anything that's actually happening i think i have uh i don't have i don't know if i oh here well, if i ever play this one for you this is my friend uh steve goody wrote this song i can turn my uh, we, yeah, you can turn, if you, either way this is uh hold on this is a christmas song everybody but i feel like i should i, I can't believe i didn't play it for tom during the holiday season <laughs> grandpa got run over by a hybrid <laughs> Walking through the Whole Foods parking lot. <laughs> Dang, he said that engine sure is quiet. Yes, it is. <laughs> and that turned out to be his final thought. <laughs> the driver did not see him coming. <laughs> Till through the windshield, Grandpa sailed. It's a little dark. 
little bit. She said at first she thought what hit her was just a giant flying cursing bag of kale. <laughs> That's uh, Grandpa got run over by a hybrid. Because they aren't really quiet, they'll sneak up on you. Well, there are, almost every hybrid I've driven makes some sort of noise at low speed. Okay. And it's a very beeping, it's sort of a Star Trek Next Generation style noise. <laughs> you know, it's just kind of high tech, kind of beepy. And, and I just drove the, uh, the Hyundai Ionic 5. And the Ionic 6, actually. That's weird. I drove them back to back. But they both make great noises at low speed that are just loud enough that if maybe you were vision impaired, you'd be like, what? I should probably figure out what that is. Right. I think it's funny that my Prius, I have a 2010 Prius uh, that when I I put it in reverse, it beeps, but it beeps for me, which is fine. Let me know that I'm going in reverse. But I'm like, you should probably let the people outside know then if we're going to make all this noise. (laughs) They they probably want to know, too. Exactly. (laughs) uh, We're hanging out with uh, Tom Appel, uh, car guy Tom on Twitter and Consumer Guide Car... Uh, what's the... ConsumerGuide.com and the Car Stuff Podcast. Car Stuff Podcast. Yeah. Uh, what's this week's topics? This week we talked about two things. There's an all-new Ram 1500 pickup, which might not excite all of your audience, but the first seg- uh, in the first segment we talked about favorite car names, and we had readers submit those. So these are reader submission, oh. uh, listener submission favorite car names. 773-763-9278. What's your favorite car name? Yeah. 773-763-9278. Let us know what your favorite car our name is. Uh, we'll take a break here and I gotta think of which ones I like. When I come back, we'll take your calls or your texts. Or if you have any questions for Tom, you can call or text us 773-763-9278. More after this on WCPT 820 Heartland Signal and KTNF Minneapolis St. Paul on 950 AM. I'm Kirk Bankstead from the Monaco Brewing Company and I sell Choice Heart Seltzer, an all-natural grapefruit and lime-flavored booze that you can enjoy for only 100 calories a can. A percentage of the proceeds of each can sold goes to reproductive rights groups in the Chicagoland area. Enjoy a light, refreshing heart seltzer and support reproductive freedom at the same time. Now available at Provisions Uptown Chicago and R&J Wine and Spirits in Glenview as well as Eastside Cafe, Coffee and Wine Bar in East Dundee where Kate is serving up smiles and drink responsibly. Patty Vasquez is taking your calls now at 773-763-9278. Driving it home with Patty Vasquez now on WCPT 820. We are hanging out with Tom Appel. Follow him on Twitter, Car, car Guide Tom, and go to Consumer Guide for Car Stuff and the Car Stuff Podcast. Yeah. And this week's podcast, folks, uh, are submitting their favorite names of cars. Yeah, that episode is now Favorite Car Names, and we've got uh, 30, 40 good ones. So are these the uh, the, the com- car company names, or what have you model named names. your car? So model, model, model names. So yeah. not like I named my, my car's name. Thunderbird came up a lot. Okay. Right. So That's a like, good name. Not, not the names that you give your cars. Like, right. Like my, dad, my, my no. dad's Cadillac was Katie. Oh, see, because Katie. My, my mother-in-law's car was Barney. Barney was an old Ford. Yeah, we yeah. yeah we called our CRV Blue. <laughs> Long before Bluey, we didn't call it Bluey, um, which would have been fun, too. Let me see. We've got uh, 708 says, uh, hey, hey, just a shout out to let you know a name for one of my old cars from years ago. My Chevy Vega was named <laughs> Yadabez. Yes, the best. Yes, the best. See, I think people like me were like, oh, like, what did I name my car? Yeah, Rusty would have been a good yes, name. Yes, the best. Rusty yeah. for a Vega? Why yeah. are Vegas rust up fast? Big problem. Yeah. That's why there are no Vegas. And Pintos. Aren't that many? They lasted longer. A little bit longer? I don't think anyone liked their Pinto, but they kind of lasted. 
my friend Jose had a, a Pinto, and of course, the the story about those was that if you rear-ended one, right, you could have a big problem on your hand, including an explosion. It was, was that- a couple model years of the uh, the Sportback. It was the had two door hatchback. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you didn't want to tap them too hard from behind. <sighs> And that was one of those unbelievably cynical things where the company decided it was easier and cheaper to not fix it. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, they don't do it that yeah. way anymore. No, no, no. That, that's no. a famous story. That was an actual just decision they made in a boardroom. Like, wow, we could fix these or just pay a few lawsuits. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've heard those stories before, that it was just yeah. cheaper to, to pay off if somebody got hurt or killed. Yeah. The actuaries, right? The, those are the bean counters that are in yeah, charge of. It might of. be as, as cynical as things ever got in the auto industry. Wow. Yeah, yeah that's, that's... Remember, I, I, I was thinking about this, because I saw... I think I was watching some movie, <laughs> the seatbelt that was on the track. <laughs> that was the weirdest thing. That was so awful. First of all, it took forever. It took like 30 seconds. If people don't remember that, they should. It was a crazy thing. I was just driving age, I think, when those were lingering. Yes. But the track went from the front of the car all the way back over your shoulder along the the glass line. It took forever. Yeah. And then it never fit that well. No. It never. You couldn't adjust it. It was, you know, like some people that were like getting it across the neck or like, yeah, it was insane. It was an incredibly terrible idea. Yeah. I'm trying to think of some of the other stupid ideas I've seen for cars that, uh, uh, I mean, I remember when we were talking briefly about uh, compact cars going away, like the uh, the, the Honda Fit, the yeah. Chevy's gotten rid of, like, uh, the Nissan, is the Versa gone too? Oh, no, the Nissan Versa is still there and it's still a great deal. Okay. And in fact, it's a consumer guide Best Buy. The Versa is absolutely worth looking at if you're trying to find something for about 20 grand. Okay, those are cute cars car. too. God, it's still weird for me to hear, because I feel like I just haven't been in the market for a new car, so I don't even have a price point to compare it yeah. to. Um, yeah, that's just wild to me. But Chevy dumped the Sonic uh, and the Spark. Oh, Two very nice little cars, and yeah. the, Spark, the Sonic was especially a nice little car. They got rid of them. There just wasn't that much demand. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. The Americans don't really want affordable cars. They do. They want affordable cars that are totally loaded <laughs> and big. <laughs> yeah, they want—I just—I uh, don't know. I'm not—I I'm, I, I used to want to have, like, a big—I used to want to have a Ram. Uh, truck, yeah, uh, you know, but then, uh, and that's mostly because I, I got in an accident in my mom's 1986 Honda Civic, and I felt very small, especially because you have all these cars around you. So yeah, I wanted something big, but they're not safe, folks. It's not safer it's just because you're bigger. You just you have more momentum and more heft. But that is what happened: is that people stop feeling safe in small cars, and I think that's part of the appeal of a crossover is that you sit up higher and mm-hmm. you're in something that feels a little bit bigger and maybe a little bit safer. And so the bigger cars got on the road, the more people wanted bigger cars. Wow. It was a, a terrible cycle. Do you see, is there any, uh, I mean, I don't think that we'll cease to be such a car-centric culture, but is there any anything in the auto industry where there's sort of a balance of, you know, we probably should do something about pedestrians <laughs> and like cyclists and that kind it's, of... It's funny you would say that because in the U.S., mobility is cars. Yes. But there's a show in, I think it was in Tokyo, but the, the Japanese mobility show just happened a few months ago. And there's a lot of weird automotive alternative stuff, Segway style, like Segway plus kind of things. Okay. Small things that aren't legal to drive on the road here in, in, in America, or they sometimes call them neighborhood cars, things like that. But there's a lot of things like that that are being considered in other countries. Okay. You see it in the EU, you see it in Asian countries, yeah. you're not going to see them here. No. It's just 
just not our mindset. No, I, I remember thinking that when I was uh, the first time I went to Europe, I was in England and then Ireland for about ten days, and I remember like the gas prices in England so much higher. All of their cars were much smaller. I mean, just a different mindset when it came to cars. They don't want the at least they don't have all those big. Plus, they're in Ireland in particular, the roads are so much more narrow. They can't have big SUVs and pickup trucks. No, no. What we call a C-segment car here, which is like an Accord, mm-hmm. is monstrous by European standards. Yeah. Or even by Japanese standards. For years and years and years, the American Honda Accord was a different car than it was in the rest of the world. Right. It was smaller in other nations. It was more civic-sized. And that's yeah. because that's what we like. But we have open roads. Right. We also have highways. So power is a little bit more meaningful to us because we want to get up to highway speed and we want to drive 90 miles an hour. Yeah. And, and you can't do that in a lot of stuff that, that you buy in other nations. You can, just yeah. not as easily. Yeah. I, and even like Mexico City up until uh, when I was a teenager, my mom and I, would, when we would go to Mexico, uh, still a lot. I mean, Volkswagen Beetles were still ruling the roads. But, you know, Fords and uh, all still smaller cars. I'm guessing now it's probably changed a lot where there's more big cars. But I was just thinking about some of the small, like the Plymouth Horizon was, was crap. Let's be honest, wasn't it? Remember the Yugo? Oh, my God. I remember the Yugo. Well, I test drove a Yugo. <laughs> Did you really? And it was awful. Yeah. It was a hilarious thing where, where on the console, where you would like expect to find a drink holder now, was there temperature controls, and they went from left to right. And you think that they're variable, right? Because it was you, there was just all this big range. But if you let go of it anywhere, it snapped to one side or the other. Oh, my so God. So it was just hot or cold. You, oh, that's it. There that's... was no, Very Soviet. There was no choice. And then how about, I think my husband had, uh, and Steve, I might be misremembering this, a Renault. Uh-huh. Were those were were they not, the French trying to make cars? I guess. Well, Renault started doing business with American Motors at the end of the eighties. Okay. So there was the Renault Alliance, which was built in Kenosha. What? And then the Renault Encore, which was also built in Kenosha. Yeah, because American Motors was failing. They had this decent sized factory up there in Kenosha that wasn't doing anything. So the French company took a stake in American Motors and started building uh, these cars up there. Oh, wow. So the Alliance and the Encore, very small cars, very fuel efficient. They were very price friendly and terrible. Unbelievably unreliable. Oh, wow. Uh, but they sold well for a while. And then, 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 then the AMC got consumed by Chrysler. Right. And the French company went away. What do you, do you have any predictions for the, oh, I didn't even ask you how the car show was. Car show was good? Yeah. Yeah, was it fun? yeah. I mean, the big news was that, that uh, Stellantis didn't go. But right. that just made more floor space for everyone else. And there was a lot there to see, which was pretty cool. And the Cybertruck was there, the crazy uh, Tesla Cybertruck, oh which is as crazy as, as you think it is in person. It's ridiculous. Uh, and the quality control is very bad on that, on that car. Perhaps not surprising. Shocked. Yeah. yeah, shocker. But one of the f- most entertaining, I almost said funnest, one of the most entertaining okay. vehicles there, uh, the Volkswagen ID Buzz. Which is an electric minivan that Volkswagen is bringing out that looks like the old microbus. What? Yeah, it's adorbs. Uh, I'm a fan. What's it called? A VW? It's called the ID Buzz. ID Buzz. And I'm sure right. that the Buzz reference to an old Volkswagen is oh, intentional. Oh, that's cute. Yeah, that's All coming right. our way. That's coming uh, our all way. All right. I'm still going to buy it, but maybe someday. That's Tom Appel. Follow him on Twitter. Um, yeah, we're almost done. Wow. Any, any last thoughts before we go? No, big Jeep recall. If you drive a Grand Cherokee, oh. just check that out. I just heard about that. Yeah, it's, it was news as I was walking in. Oh, man. So you got Jeep Cherokee. Get it checked out. Tom Appel, find him on Twitter, Car Guy Tom, Good yep. Consumer Guide, uh, Car Stuff Podcast. Yeah. Uh, anything else coming up we want to let people know about? That's the stuff. That's the stuff. Thank you. Uh, I think that we're, uh, hold on a second, let me, Brian, uh, Brian's on hold again, but we're not, do you, we, we're not talking the Bible, but I, I'll see. <laughs> on the way out, Brian, I've got to run. Can we uh, pick it up tomorrow, Brian? On the, oh, sure. 
Yeah, so indeed. Yes, thank you, Patty. All right, be well, Brian. I apologize that we're at the end of the show. Uh, and I will try to re- read up on my uh, Isaiah 10, I promise. Let's uh, say goodnight to everybody. Thank you, Alejandro. Uh, thank you, Tom Appel. Thank you to Cheryl Connect and Dan Schaefer. It was a wonderful show today. Mike Crude is up next with Devil's Advocate and uh, followed by Matt McNeil. Bye, everybody.